December 17th. A terminal mystery for a self-styled detective. Mr. Shiloh Coombs, a man claiming to be a detective, although if he were, he would have to admit that from the prevailing evidence he wasn't, killed. However, in the interest of suspense, we shall refrain from detailing the murder and its means here. Christmas is a time for surprises, after all. Lightning flying all the snow and the hay, ha 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 ho ha ho, and sleigh bells ringing gaily, singing merrily we go. Dirtvent Calendar, a merry murder mystery in twenty-four crimes, written by Tobias Sturt and read by John Millington. I realise in reading back this account of the happenings of this fateful December that I've frequently been somewhat disparaging about the character of my acquaintance, Mr Shiloh Coombs. This is not to say that I've been unfair. It's not just me in Inspector Street. I suspect if you were to play a word association game with people that knew him, the descriptions that would come to mind would be irritating, deluded, insufficiently socialised and massive weirdo. I mean... I would say that I like the stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle as much as the next man, but in this case the next man is an obsessive fantasist who likes to think of himself as a master of logic, ratiocination and detection, while in fact being an idiot. But he was also my flatmate, my near-constant companion and my friend. I have in the previous pages made frequent allusions to wanting to kill him. These were, of course, all in jest, possibly in poor taste while telling a story of homicidal mania. But I didn't mean them. I didn't want him dead. I say this because, well, the events of December the 17th have given me some perspective on the matter. We had spent the evening before in discussion. Shiloh fervently disagreed with me about trying once again to warn Inspector Street of what we had discovered. I didn't like the idea of her casually walking past the place of her own execution every day, and liked even less the idea that one day she wouldn't be walking past it at all. He pointed out, not unfairly, that what she didn't like was us, and would never believe us in the first place, and would almost certainly go out of her way to stop us investigating further, which would only ensure her eventual fate. He has a sort of sense on his side, I had to admit, a rather twisted logic, but then he was a rather twisted man. He did at least agree with me that we certainly couldn't wait until the attempt on the inspector's life to try and find Krampus. That was, at the very least, four days away, and every day meant another murder. A murder that we could have stopped. He was less convinced about what we should do next. He was still hoping that the commission of his own murder might give us some way into the Krampus organisation, while I was still worrying away at my odd one out at the Bulliver Toy Company. Shiloh was not yet convinced that saintly old Mr Wilcox did not fit the pattern and that there might well be some secret horror that merited his inclusion on the list. It was the fact that we didn't have anything better to do that was the clinching argument, so the next morning we set out to see what we could discover about Bulliver, Wilcox and their playthings. Outside our building, a delivery cyclist was rootling around in his backpack for something. Uh, Number 72, he said. Got something for you? Shiloh Coombs. You have to sign. Shiloh signed and took the package. Curiouser and curiouser, he said, shaking it. 
I didn't order anything. Me neither, I said, particularly for you. Hmm, a present, he said, probably from my mother. I'll just pop it inside. Then he turned back into the house. There is, at moments of stress or alarm, a sense that time slows down. What is, in fact, happening is that our senses speed up. Normally, our brains are just coasting on what they can get by with. We only have a small sliver of colour vision, for instance. The edges of our sight are just filled in with what our brains already know or can guess at. It is this gentle ticking of our awareness that gives us our sense of time passing. But at these moments, our attention switches up a gear. Information comes flooding in, and it feels like the world stands still as we try and handle all that we're sensing. I think it must have been the word present that did it. As Shiloh dashed back into the house and the cyclists sped away up the road, both seemed to do it in slow motion as pieces slotted together in my mind. A delivery cyclist? The ordered murder? An unexpected Christmas present? Krampus List. He was already inside before I thought to shout his name. Shiloh! What I remember is the singing of glass. The glazed panels of the front door the window on the stairs, trembling and then jumping outwards in a great glittering cloud. There must have been an explosion, of course, but that I can't hear. Just the crystal sound of shards dropping to the pavement all around me. The next thing I knew, someone was draping a blanket around my shoulders as I sat on the pavement outside our front door. Goodness knows why. I suspect they had seen it on television. Someone else was dabbing at the glass cuts on my face with a wet wipe. My ears were ringing, and I didn't even hear the emergency services arrive. I might have tried running back into the flat, shouting Shiloh's name, because I'd seen that on television too, but the fact was that my legs appeared to have decided it was a better idea for me to stay sitting down. But I could see, from where I was sitting, smoke billowing in the hall, and the banisters of the stairs shredded into splinters sticking out in all directions. Oddly, all I could think about was whether the landlords would take it out of our deposit. I think I said as much to Inspector Street when she arrived. Just as I wished to be fair to Shiloh, I should also be fair to the inspector. I wouldn't want you to think she was an insensitive woman. Her profession alone must often require her to deal with difficult and distressing events and difficult and distressed people. It's a tribute to her sensitivity that she waited until I had been treated at accident and emergency, questioned by a junior booked into a hotel and tucked into a corner of the bar with a whiskey, until she told me off. I'd told her everything, of course, including much that wasn't at all relevant, all of which she had listened to in patience. Finally, she stood up to go and looked down at me, huddled in my seat. One thing, she said, and I want you for once to listen to me, because this is important. Whatever you two have been playing at, I hope you realise at last that it is not a game. This involves people's lives and deaths and is to be taken seriously. I want you to promise me that you will leave it alone. Leave it to the professionals. Leave it to me. Understand? And she left. I understood, of course. I understood that it was a matter of life and death. Shiloh's death, most particularly which was precisely why I wasn't going to leave it alone. He was my friend, after all. (laughs) 
You have been listening to Dead Vent Calendar, written by Tobias Sturt from an original idea by Tobias Sturt and Rowan Davis. The story is read by John Millington, and I read the murders. The music is The Slay by The Sportsman and by Mitch Miller and his orchestra and chorus, both from the Internet Archive. If you enjoyed this podcast, please spread the word, and even rate and review it if you can. You can find more on SoundCloud, as well as Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Stitcher, and on our website at ruritania.co.uk slash stories. And tune in next episode to open another fatal window in our dead vent calendar. We are going onward through the night.